Young, rich man, DBS. Oye, me chico, you so upset because the kid beat you. You telling everybody, Razor Ramon, he gotta pay? No problem, man. You want the bad guy? You got him. This Monday night, pay-per-view, everybody gonna be watching. And chico, money won't save you. Boogie jiving rap is life where I'm from, where I'm from. Ahmad play where is he where I'm from, where I'm from. It be like run your coat black. Jupiter keeps a fat beats by the pack where I'm from. Nappy hair is like we be reading marks where I'm from. The kids be rocking clocks where I'm from. You turn around your cap, you talk over a beat. And dick some sounds booming out of Jeep where I'm from. Cocoons hide the youth. Mezzanine sleepover, Chico. That is a tremendous song. Oye me, Chico. So, 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 hip us to the uh, artist in the track there. For the song? Yeah. Oh, what is it? What is it? It's, uh, well, the song is called Where I'm From. Yes. <laughs> Where is it? Let me find it here on my uh, iTunes. Uh, digi- uh, Digible pr- Planets. The Diggable Planets. The yes. Diggable Planets. Diggable. Digible. <laughs> Digi- the Dirigible Planets. The Digible Planets. Diggable Planets. Yeah, Reachin' is the name of the album, 1993. That's a great song. Uh, so here we go. I'm doing a, I'm doing a, three, uh, a project called the uh, 365 Day uh, Project. I just made it up now. <laughs> so it's pretty good. Yes! Uh, I, of course, am uh, ribbing my pal, Megamix.com, here on the Mezzanine Sleepover. What's up, folks? I've been ribbed by my pal, at Slip, with five eyes on the old twets. And uh, what's up? Yes, Mezzanine Sleepover, episode, what, 142? 142. Oh, my God. Too bad it's not 124. 124. <laughs> I would have enjoyed that over this long weekend. Uh, last long weekend, not this last weekend. Last long weekend. This weekend, not a long weekend. Sorry, got that mixed up. Yeah, we are not recording this a week ago. No, we are, we are recording not. this right now as you're listening. It's almost live, actually. <laughs> it is almost live. Uh, you on August uh, 14th, 2018. Uh, and again, uh, it's the mezzanine sleepover. Uh, I was wondering. We, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 you. By all means. I was just saying we're here and you've you've clicked on this, obviously, and it's uh we're continuing our SummerSlam journey. <clears throat> we are that, that began a few weeks ago, uh, with you and the Stewmeister breaking down SummerSlam two thousand four. Last week we took a stab at the uh at the at the at the terrible SummerSlam nineteen ninety. And I gotta say, we've now covered uh the first SummerSlam, the second one, the third one. The fourth one, the fifth one, and now we're on the sixth one, I believe. Yes, we are, but we have also covered some ones later on from that. We've done not SummerSlam 99 in 2004. and 2004. So we're, we're running through SummerSlams. This will probably be our last one for the time being because uh, yeah. we, of course, are heading towards uh, uh, SummerSlam itself. And uh, so we're going to take a break from SummerSlams after this, most likely until uh, later on in the year. But... We will if you're hoping to get a review of, of SummerSlam 2018, this is not the podcast to uh, to listen to, because uh, we will not be watching it or reviewing it. Yeah, um, here's my review. Handed it. There we go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so anyways, uh, before we get into it, though, uh, we made a yes. promise last week, and of course, on the sleepover, where we always keep our promises. Absolutely. Uh, a couple of weeks ago... Uh, when we did the show, or I, I did the show with Stu, that is because you were on vacation, and I want to hear a little bit about your thoughts and, and where oh, you went yeah. and, and what the fun times were that were had. Well, we needed someone to fill in for me when I was on vacation, because as everybody knows, we do this show every single week. <laughs> we didn't take like a, a four-week break to launch our new podcast, Albums Are Dead. No. Uh, which you can go uh, to albumsaredead.com and find out everything you need to know about that tremendous podcast. Um, we talk about albums and it's, uh, it's awesome. Um, but yes, you know, you, I mean, uh, I, think, I was away. I think I said this before, but, uh, you know, that, that gif with the, the, the dude where he's all with his girlfriend and all checking out the other girl. Yes. Well, the other girl is albums are dead. Yes. <laughs> and, and this is our, this is the girlfriend yeah, show. Yeah. So there you the go. The mezzanine sleepover. We haven't forgot about you folks. We still want to keep bringing the goodness as much as we possibly can. And of course, since it's SummerSlam uh, time, we are committed to bringing you retro reviews. Um, yes, I was away uh, on vacation for two weeks. Uh, so I was a little bit, uh, I was out of the province, didn't leave the country. I uh, went to uh, Alberta this time. Took uh, took our son uh, on this, his first flight 
flew out to Edmonton. It was a good uh, good flight. He quite enjoyed it. He called it the best day ever, which was fantastic. Oh, nice. I was glad he liked it because I fucking hate flying. But uh, it actually wasn't bad. I hadn't flown in almost 10 years. So um, <coughs> the anxiety was was a little bit high. But, uh, you know, once once I get through takeoff, I'm, I, I, I settle into a groove. I, I'm like a dog. I, I get all tame. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was it – was, uh, Went to Edmonton for a couple days, and uh, what a fucking dump. But honestly, you know, there's some parts of Edmonton where I enjoy the drive, so I, I, I'm going to give it a bit of an edge over Winnipeg in terms of some of its, some of the, 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 uh, the, the, the surrounding nature when you're, you know, like if you're, uh, if you're driving down the, uh, what fucking, white mud? Well, I can't even remember. The white mud, yes. I mean, it's got some nice rolling hills, and uh, it's, it's quite a nice drive. Uh, but and you know the city is uh, on a hill, so hey, that's nice. But does down. but does Edmonton have an intersection that's not open to pedestrian traffic? And there's an endless fucking debate over what to do about it. It does not. Oh my goodness! And so and so, I mean, like, are we going to talk about that? Because I mean, uh, my thought is open it up. Because who the fuck cares if it makes it more accessible to people? Then what is the big problem? <laughs> yeah, I, we're we're are talking. We should tell people we're talking about. The intersection of Portage and Maine and Winnipeg, and how? Yeah, I mean it's about time. I mean, I, I don't get it. It's it's a landmark intersection, but it, no one can walk across it. Well, it no so I have two thoughts. Number one, if I have to vote, I vote open it. Yes, for obvious reasons. My second you vote, though, you are no longer resident of this city. My my, my second thought, though, is this is what we're debating over in Winnipeg. Like this is the most pressing issue. Yeah. It's well, ridiculous. We it's fucking... Well, you live in Ontario, and you've said it. It, it. You know, like, it could be worse. You could be living where you live. Well, right? the most I pressing mean... issue here was to get $1 beer, and we got it, baby. Oh, my God. What a fucking joke. But anyway, Portage in Maine, I mean, it, it just seems like a no-brainer. Just open it up. Uh, it's kind of the right thing to do. Uh, anybody who's out there talking about how it'll make your commute longer, what are you driving to the center of the city for? I work downtown. I don't drive through Portage and Maine. Like, I literally take another route because it's fucking stupid. Like, why? I mean, uh, secondly, would it really? I mean, traffic crawls through there at all hours of the day anyway. It's not a safety issue because, come on. Again, you, is, is anybody flying through Portage and Maine at fucking 50? You just They're wait. Not. You just wait until the first accident happens. That'll be annoying. Well, there will be accidents. People will be like, see, see. Yeah, but there will be accidents because Winnipeggers and drivers are stupid. Um, it makes no sense to me uh, to filter all your traffic underground. I mean, all, all your foot traffic underground. And I know there's people out there, it's like, well, walk one one block the other way. And it's like, that's not the point. Um, I don't know. I just I feel like open it up and, uh, and uh, the, a referendum for it is stupid. Because then you just give the people in fucking St. Vitale and, and fucking Sage Creek and all these bullshit suburbs the uh, the authority over the the inner city the, the the core area of the city which is dumb so you know the the mayor of Winnipeg should have just opened it up instead but he's a fucking chicken so uh, he doesn't that's the end of, end of the story in in, in in my mind anyway Edmonton yeah uh, you know you know what They're, that that downtown Edmonton's uh, coming along nicely though I gotta say that's good you know the uh, the arenas uh, tight and uh, that that district the uh, whatever they call it there. I can't remember what they call it. Um, they have a little name for their district. Uh, it's pretty good. Um, my two thoughts on Edmonton, the airport arrivals is an absolute abomination. Uh, and the, uh, the mall, a dump as usual. <laughs> that said, the water park, still world-class and awesome. Good. That, uh, that fucking airport's way out of town. Though not as far out of town now because the, the city is stretched so far to the south, but still it's way still... out of town, like ridiculously out of town. Uh, good for the downtown because Edmonton's downtown didn't have much when I lived there. Uh, did have the CN Tower though, the, uh, the yes, real. Winking. The real all winking at you at all hours. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of, remember that you, I mean, you lived there. I'm, I, I visited there a few times that, that whole area was a fucking, empty vacuum of nothingness and now it's all built up and awesome so i do like, on Edmonton for that. I, I do like how one of the destinations you had to see was where i lived well yeah you know what i actually ended up not driving that way and i didn't go check it out but i was i was i was doing some google map 
you know, just exploring and I want to remember where it was. And, and uh, yeah, it would have been nice to, to, you know, not, not a bad little spot actually. Uh, Pretty good. So then you went to the mountains and you saw the, the dinosaurs, right? Yeah. Well, no, we didn't do dinosaurs. So we drove, we were in Edmonton for three days. I uh, did the water park thing, which was the highlight. Uh, we went to a cat cafe, which was pretty awesome on White Avenue. Mm-hmm. You all pay to go in, and uh, and then you get free free coffee and drinks, and all get to hang out with cats. Yep, that was pretty awesome. Um, uh, on uh, in kind of the the on on Gateway, there was this great place that was uh, like a hobby store. We found like uh, out of print fucking Lego sets for decent prices. Nice. So that was that was pretty good. Um, so my son picked up, a, a like a iron skull sub attack with Iron Man and shit. It was pretty good. Um, other than that, yeah, then we headed out to, out to, uh, Canmore, but we did the long route. Oh, the Icefields Parkway. My God, that is, that is beautiful and tedious, mm-hmm. that drive. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, I, I did it so that we could do it. And I was pleased that we did it. Canmore was great. Um, Banff was eh. Loved being in Canmore, though. I'd never been in the town center of Canmore. It's a nice place. Good stuff. Uh, and uh, hit Calgary uh, for a day. And by that point, we got to Calgary and we were no longer in suites. And uh, for anybody with kids, a suite is a must. Um, we ended up for our last two nights, one in Calgary and one in Edmonton, in just a two-bed, like a two-bed, just, oh. It was, uh, you know, you, your kid goes to sleep and you all can't do anything. You just have to sit there. Because uh, they're right there in the bed next to you. Um, Calgary hit the zoo. That was good. And then we were going to do Drumheller, but we just did the drive to Edmonton. Uh, and uh, you had that a, was it. You had, hey, come on. You had a special stop in Calgary. We did. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. So in Calgary, I decided I can't believe that we, who were in Calgary on two separate occasions in, uh, in 1997 and in 2001, never visited the Hard House. No. And uh, I decided it was high time. I was in a uh, Jeep Compass that we had rented that had the GPS, so it got me right there. And uh, took a few photos and uh, was generally pleased to visit the Hart House. So I was a bit of a bit of a pilgrimage for me. And uh, yeah, it's interesting to see, like, think uh, about how, how for how long that house sat there with nothing around it, like for for decades, right? It was just that house, and now it's all so built up. So uh, that was that was good. I went back to Edmonton. Uh, I will say. Stayed in Sandman Hotel the first time in Edmonton in a suite uh, in uh, in West Edmonton that had a tower that was kind of attached to the main hotel. The tower was tremendous. The second time around, we were there. We were in the main hotel, which was clearly a retrofitted motel. Dog shit. And I don't <laughs> recommend it. So, um, other than that, good trip. It was it was some good times. Went to the lake for the second week and uh, just uh, basically chilled out. So uh, it was good good times, and it's good to be back on the sleepover though. Uh, I, while you were away, saw Brian Adams. Yes. Yeah, I was jealous. Uh, tremendous show that like such a good band. Just yeah. Dude can sing. I, I was I, for a while. I was like, is this like, is he lip syncing? Like this is, yeah. it was too good. But yeah. I, t- I took a couple of, uh, quick videos that I posted on Instagram. Yeah. And when, and listening back to the video, it's clear that he's singing and it's not. You know, it's not as tremendous yeah. sounding as, as it is just sitting there live, but dude can fucking sing. The band is, you know, they, they played all the hits. Nice. They're just, they sound good. It, it was just like fucking really well done. Like, I don't think I'll go and see him again, but if you haven't seen Brian Adams and, you know, even if you're just like, I, I like his songs. Um, and that's, that's enough for you to go and check him out live. I say yeah, I think that would be my criteria. And I, I would definitely go check that out. Cause that sounds like a good time. So that any was, other concerts that you've seen recently? Um, I saw Foo Fighters concert series. Saw Foo Fighters in, uh, early in, uh, July, uh, not $20. Yep. I paid, uh, well, I went with a friend. I ended up paying for that friend for a lot of other things. So it was probably like well over a hundred bucks for a floor ticket. Okay. Uh, that concert was insane. Uh, it was the Rogers Center sold out. No way. Yeah. Like I, I thought, okay, Rogers Center with, with Foo Fighters, maybe they'll pull in 30, but really? they, Many. they probably had, they probably had 50 in there. Jesus. It was ridiculous. Like full, four full. Foo Fighters. Oh my God. And, um, it was, they played for two and a half hours. Uh, nice. just like a long, long, long set. I didn't see the openers. Um, but they played forever. And uh, the thing with the Foo Fighters is 
when Dave Grohl stepped out on stage, I'd never seen them live before. But like yeah. the moment he stepped out, like I have to admit, I was a little starstruck. Nice. It was just like this dude is a big fucking deal. Like you don't think about it. Think, yeah. And then you so. see him, and you're like, this guy's a big fucking deal. Yeah. Uh, and you know, just like, you know, fun show. They're legitimately happy. I think to be playing in front of that big a crowd. Yeah. But they obviously have played in front of crowds that are huge for, um, for stadium show or for, um, festivals. Yeah. But I don't think they've done a lot of stadium shows. No. So they're a little, uh, I think they were a little blown away. Nice. So that was good. I don't think that was just like, you know, cheap heat. I think they were legitimately into it. So, yeah. uh, so no, that was a good show as well. Uh, got a bunch of smaller shows coming up, which will be fun. Uh, nothing, uh, you know, nothing that, that really stands out in, uh, in particular, just, you know, small stuff until the fall when we get like a lot of the, uh, a lot of like old school, like stuff that I haven't seen before, like Phil Collins, yeah. the charlatans, they might be giants. So nice. Uh, you were talking about Foo Fighters and stadium shows and, uh, I have seen them in a stadium setting. Oh yeah, the Somersault? Winnipeg Stadium. It's <laughs> Somersault, right? Somersault. So not really a stadium. Well, you know, He's calling that a stadium, yeah, not really. But I did see them there, and it was awesome. And that was in like '97 or '98 or '99. It was great. Uh, I so. did. I did also. Uh, speaking of stadiums and Winnipeg, saw the Bombers play uh, Toronto. Yes, that's uh, right. And crushed them here in front of an announced crowd of about twelve thousand fans. Nice. Just amazing. Amazing how it's just, it doesn't exist here. The CFL is not a thing. Nope. It's, nope. yeah, it's too bad. Like, I walked by a rugby stadium. Mm-hmm. There's a rugby team here, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know what league or league, you know, well, yeah, what league they're in, but uh, obviously not a, you know, world class league, but something. And, and their stadium is like full. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, they don't have, they may have like seven or 8,000 people, but they're full. And then yeah. you get to the football game, and it's like basically same size crowd. You know, I, I feel like the Argonauts have really been hurt by MLS, and it, no, it's not a, it's not an indictment in any way. But I mean, the the way the city's taken of the soccer team has really hurt the football team. I think. Yeah, yeah. In the long run, um, yeah, I'll be uh, uh, in this week heading out to the Bombers game this week on the seventeenth. Yes, uh, heading out to the Bombers and the Red Blacks. So, hey, there's a, there's a name that, that kind of I've forgotten how stupid it is. <laughs> so good on Ottawa. That name doesn't seem so stupid to me anymore. It's just they're the Red Blacks. They, they won the Grey Cup. They're the Red Blacks. They have um, one. Going to see them. Uh, it's going to be a good time because uh, I'll tell you, the Bombers put on a good, put on a good uh, game day experience, as I've said before, and uh, excited to do it. So uh, that'll, be, uh, that'll be in a couple days from now. Uh, I think this, of course, being the this, of course, being in and around the 14th of August. Of course, of course. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this pay-per-view because uh, oh, yes. okay. um, there's Summer a lot to talk Slam about. 1993. Um, so this was the uh, sixth annual SummerSlam. It took place on a Monday, August 30th, 1993, at the Palace of Auburn Hills in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Uh, they mentioned Detroit an awful lot. It is not in Detroit. Um, though, you know, in the greater Detroit area, I guess. Yes. Um, this attendance, though, 23,954. What a, what a nice uh, little gate there for the uh, WWF at the time. Do you have the gate total? I do not. Do you? Uh, I am looking over the Wick Eye. And I'm As not am I. Seeing... <laughs> we'll get there first. Uh, I'm not really seeing anything, so there you go. Neither am I. Oh, too bad. It goes results and references, so it doesn't even have, like, reception. I'm sure they made a bit of money. And I, oh wait, last week you mentioned that this did not do that well on pay-per-view. So uh, in terms of numbers, I think the buy rate was like a two point something. So. No, it was 91 that I said it wasn't good on pay-per-view. Oh, that's right. Get it right. Fuck me. We, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Usually this is, usually it's you making the mistakes. What? Me? <laughs> uh, the tagline for this event, fat chance. Um, this would, of course, be referencing the main event where Yokozuna, the champion of the World Wrestling Federation, would be defending against Lex Luger. We will get into all of that. Um, this is uh, we're going to do our breakdown. Uh, WWF at this time, uh, 1993, a real down year, and we're we're heading into um, a real lull for the WWF uh, through 1993, 94, 95 specifically. They, they did have a bit of an uptick in 1996, which was probably more related to the uptick in wrestling overall. Um, 
especially with the rise of the NWO in WCW um, and and the competition driving both uh, federations. But this in uh, in '93, like this is a real low point for the federation. And uh, Hulk Hogan uh, departed the company for the last time until uh, for ten years um, in 1993 after losing to Yokozuna at the King of the Ring. Um, he had surprisingly won the world title at WrestleMania in fucking bullshit. <laughs> the worst WrestleMania ending ever. Uh, um, so Hogan's gone. WWF uh, on July 4th, 1993, uh, do a, uh, a body slam challenge on the deck of the USS Intrepid and uh, pull uh, Lex Luger out of the old mothballs. Um, his his year-long kind of run, well, not year-long, I guess it was only been like six months, six, seven, eight months, pull him out as a as a new babyface challenger, uh, the All-American one, Lex Luger, uh, drives his little bus all around the country, the Lex Express, and uh, they're trying to push him as the big savior, the big new Hogan. Uh, other things going on. Um, what, what what have I missed here? What, what else is going on? What so the idea here, the, the, the big kind of behind-the-scenes storyline at this point is that um, Bret Hart has made a run as WWF champion from uh, late tw- uh, 1992 until WrestleMania in 1993. Yeah. Uh, they transition the belt from him to Hogan, who makes his return and uh, stays in the Federation for about three months. Uh, Barely before, wrestles. Before he departs uh, after King of the Ring 1993. During this time, uh, Bret Hart believes that he is oh, going yes, to be getting... Right. He believes he's going to be getting a uh, match with Hogan at SummerSlam, and that would be kind of Hogan passing the torch to Bret Hart. Um, They shot production. They shot still photos and everything of the two of them kind of facing off for a SummerSlam match. Like this was not some Bret Hart thinks something that isn't true. They they literally were were going to do this match. Uh, They then changed course and decided to pivot over to Lex Luger, and basically are. Without Hogan, they are desperately trying to find themselves a new hero. To, a musclehead, yeah, to essentially. Push, yeah, to put the Federation, uh, to kind of wrap the Federation around uh, as they push forward. And Lex Luger is the guy that they have chosen with a massive and sudden push that begins uh, starting with body yeah. slamming Yokozuna on the USS Intrepid. Lex Luger, for six months, working heel as the narcissist, or as Bobby yes. Heenan would call him, the narcissist. <laughs> we got to review Royal Rumble 93 sometime. Uh, and now Lex Luger all of a sudden gets out of a helicopter to come after Yokozuna, and he is immediately uh, All-American, loves the USA, yeah. and uh, is feuding uh, with Yokozuna. This is a very <clears throat> funny show. Uh, yeah. It is wrapped in patriotism. There's red, white, and blue decorations so all weird. over the building it's all it's about 1993 Lex Luger. it's so weird it's so kind of ill-placed so Stu and i talked about this uh last week <clears throat> when we two were talking about or two weeks ago <laughs> when we were talking about uh kind of these the different you know ethnic angles that go into wrestling and, and who they choose chooses heels i think you got confused because you uh we, we spoke with Stu on our other podcast last week uh, well, yes, you are correct. But yes, we spoke. That's with Stu why on, you're so confused. Yes, but we spoke with Stu on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. Yes, there you go. Uh, so you know they they had problems with Germans after you know after following well a ways after World War II, but still Germans. Yeah. Uh, obviously the Iron Sheik, uh, Soviets. Uh, yes. so kind of all of these issues in. 1993, Yokozuna is um, actually from uh, Samoa, but he is portrayed as Japanese. Yes. <clears throat> and they have a problem with Japanese folks at this point. And I was like, it. I believe it's because the Japanese economy is doing better than the States. I think so. Uh, Disco Stew 81 on Twitter said, he said, because they make better cars. That's right. <laughs> So it's it's this weird thing where they because America at this point is not in an armed conflict. The Iraq war has now um, been over for two years. Yes, and they just kind of make enemies with Japan. Yeah, it's it's a very desperate attempt here to kind of catch something that isn't there. I mean, they're trying to catch on to some kind of a feeling that doesn't exist. And while the people in the crowd at this event are into it, I mean, in general. The public and as buy rates and 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 ratings and 
you know, revenue will attest to. I mean, no one gives a shit. I mean, Yokozuna is a, he's not Japanese, but we'll, for the, for the sake of this, we'll call him Japanese, um, is just a heel. And it's, you know, and it's not because he's Japanese. So WWF really, at this point, hasn't kind of gotten past that. They will start to after this. Yeah. And start moving towards, you know, some better kind of programs and some heels that aren't so one dimensional. And, uh, you know, this would mar kind of Yokozuna's run as well as Lex Luger's as kind of just a big colossal failure. Uh, so I guess we'll go to the By event. By the way, I want to say one other thing yeah. about Lex Luger getting off the helicopter. Uh, you know, the narcissist stepping off in his regaled in his in his uh, in his underpacks, his his little packet, his little pack. Oh, he had jeans on. He had jeans on. Jeans, jeans, and his American flag jacket comes in and hip tosses Yokozuna because <laughs> that was not a fucking slam. Uh, so, uh, here we go. Uh, the Lex Express starts off. So Lex is in this red, white, and blue bus that he tours around the country in and basically talks to like handicapped kids and, you know, yeah. like, does hands ma- and, kisses babies. Yeah, and does like make a wish visits and, and they talk, yeah. you'll, you will, we'll get into this later, this fucking putrid, like what, what a good guy Lex is kind of stuff. I want to um, just, before we continue going on, I mean, we've spoken about all the, all the kind of issues that are going on, but also the big kind of shroud covering the WWF at this time is the upcoming steroid trial for yes. Vince McMahon. So really all this is also tainted by the fact that Vince McMahon is, is staring at very, you know, at, at least in his mind and in the minds of many, a possible prison sentence. Uh, so Lex pulls up in this fucking bus. Uh, now we go inside. We've got Vince and Bobby Heenan on commentary, which is not great, but a step up over last week's uh, pairing of Vince and uh, Roddy Piper. Piper. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, match one is Ted DiBiase against Razor Ramon, who you heard cutting a promo in the intro. Uh, uh, Razor Ramon uh, had lost to the uh, the kid, the one two three kid, in a surprise loss, and then lost some money after that when the kid stole his bag of money. Then Ted DiBiase, who made fun of Razor Ramon, uh, lost to the kid when Razor Ramon interfered. So we have a feud. We do, and Razor Ramon is now a freshly turned babyface. Yes, he is. Uh, Which was probably a smart idea because Razor was a great character that people wanted to get behind. Uh, this is actually DiBiase's last match. He retires after this. Yes, he does. Uh, DiBiase jumps Ramon as he's taking off the gold. <laughs> yes! Uh, Ramon... Yes! Uh, and of course, uh, you can let our listeners know, you a big Razor Ramon fan. I was a big Razor Ramon mark, big time. Uh, yep. Ramon so you, turn- you liked the gold. Yes. Uh, Razor <laughs> Ramon turns things around with a back body drop and a fall away slam. Um, yes. at some point I, I, they say in the commentary, one of the reasons for this feud is apparently DiBiase made an offer to Razor Ramon to make him his servant. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe that happened on the syndication shows. Uh, DiBiase begs off and Ramon comes in too slowly, gets tossed into the turnbuckle. Uh, DiBiase is on the offense, or as my typo says, Diabiase. Diabiase. Uh, and, uh, he's working very slowly. Chinlock is applied to Ramon. Vince says it's a choke. It clearly isn't. It is not a choke. A neckbreaker by DiBiase. The two guys end up clunking heads and going down. DiBiase takes the turnbuckle pad off while the ref is distracted. Uh, Ramon reverses the turnbuckle shot and DiBiase goes into it. And he goes into the razor's edge. This is the easiest razor's edge you'll ever see. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, Ted DiBiase uh, with a lot of neck issues. Um, you know, uh, now did Ted DiBiase's dad die, like wrestling related? I believe he did. Okay. Anyway, I, I can check on that. But anyway, yeah. So DiBiase, of course, you know, getting the gentle ride in this one. Uh, you know, take cutting his career short. Um, though I would say. You know, based on how much I enjoy watching Ted DiBiase, it was long overdue. Yeah, he was done at this point. So uh, boring. So I gave it uh, one and a half stars. Meltzer uh, on the Observer gave it one and a half. I'll give it one, seven minutes, 32 seconds. Uh, yawn, let's move on. Uh, something that uh, is in the Observer but was not on the pay-per-view for obvious reasons when I tell you this. Okay. At this point, they went into a spot plugging the 900 line, calling the wrestlers. A caller called up and asked Undertaker about Hulk Hogan and Jake Roberts. 
I did see that because I watched this on the DVD. And quickly they cut away with Bobby Heenan talking over so as not to acknowledge comments made about wrestlers and not with the promotion. They left this on the DVD. (laughs) So we've been watching on the network a lot. Um, I did watch, I didn't watch any of this on the network. I watched it on the DVD release from the SummerSlam box set. And this part was on there. It was so weird. Uh, We get Todd Pettengill. Oh, he God. is a Todd. Todd debuted at what WrestleMania nine? I don't know, somewhere around here. I think yeah. So this is like a, a just a low point. Todd Pettengill. It's funny how Todd's there through the whole low point. He's a New York announcer. He eventually does radio in New York. He is uh, not a fan. Zoo host. He's not a fan of the product, um, but he's kind of just like imagine uh, if a local wrestling promotion in Winnipeg had uh, Dave Wheeler, but without the racism. Yeah, or the sexism. Yeah, and then it would be the same yeah. thing. Uh, so yeah. Pet- Pettengill is interviewing the mother and the sister of the Steiner brothers, yes. who are from Detroit. Uh, that say- sister looks like she's a wrestler herself with that tan. They say the father is not there. He is sick. Uh, the mother totally blows off Todd's jokes. Yep. And then he makes a joke with uh, the sister being like, oh, must have been tough to bring guys home with the Steiners. The sister calls her brothers Rob and Scott. Well, that's, of course, Rob, Rob is Rick's real name. Yes. So that was great. I mean, literally, she looks like fucking Hogan with that tan. <laughs> but I like love withered hot dog. I just, I just love Better how hair. they just blow off the product in the interview. It's so good. Like, like they, they, they bring this in. any less. Like, these guys, these guys have been wrestling for a while. Like, like Rick Steiner's <laughs> been around for, like, a decade. You'd think the oh, sister yeah. would be like, okay, we refer to him as Rick. Nope. No, no. I, I, and of course, they're there. This is in uh, Michigan, which of course is where the Steiners are from. So they 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 think that they've got you know a little, get a little rub from the family. Nope, <laughs> Com- completely expose it. Fantastic. Uh, so match two is the Heavenly Bodies against the Steiner brothers. Uh, and the, you know what? The Heavenly Bodies are fucking great. Uh, the Heavenly Bodies are a tag team that were imported from a Jim Cornette run promotion called Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, they yeah. are. Uh, the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Yes. Uh, who is Bruce Pritchard's brother, obviously. And the gigolo, Jimmy Del Rey, who is most famous for his disgusting dance. <laughs> his, his sexy dance grinding. Oh. Uh, he's he's like, all- that's, by the way, that's, that's fucking Blade Rogers style. Uh, Jim Cornette introduces the Heavenly Bodies. There is a big pop for the Steiners who are from Detroit and wear University of Michigan gear to the ring. And of course, uh, you and as this is going on, you know Jim Ross jizzing in his pants. <laughs> uh, uh, the bodies, <laughs> the bodies, the bodies jump the Steiners right away and deliver a double suplex and a double back body drop to Rick. Scott finally makes the save. Pritchard and Scott Steiner finally square off one on one. Steiner gets the yeah. advantage. Uh, the bumping by the heavenly bodies is like a little out of control. Yeah, they're going crazy. They're they're like reaching like SummerSlam 2005 Shawn Michaels levels. <laughs> Scott keeps walking over uh the or working over the bodies and eventually gets bulldogged uh, by the bodies for the heat. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Del Rey does his sexy dance and then does a float <laughs> over DDT on Scott. I love that because later on he'll do a try it again and he all gets caught. It's so good. I love the psychology in this match. Uh, Cornette hits Scott with his tennis racket. Heenan acts like he didn't see it. It's like, what racket? <laughs> what racket? Uh, Jimmy goes for another float over, as you said, but gets suplexed. Uh, and yeah. then Scott gets the tag to Rick. Rick runs, runs wild on both bodies, and Scott is back in right away. Rick hits a bulldog. Well, first he runs, first he runs around barking like a dog. Because <laughs> he's the dog face, face gremlin. Yes, he is. Uh, Rick hits a bulldog off the top rope, but Pritchard breaks it up. He hits Rick. With the racket behind the ref's back, but Rick kicks out. Del Rey misses a moonsault. He gets a Frankensteiner from Scott and gets pinned oh, by, scary. by both Steiners. The ref just allows both Steiners to pin him. Yeah, it's so weird. That and you know what? We're getting to the point. That's that 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 Frankensteiner just looks like it shouldn't be done. Uh it is one of the better matches on the card. I gave it two and a half stars. Meltzer gives it three and a half. I give it three. I enjoyed it. I love the psychology. And watching Scott toss those little dudes around was great. Um, even even though half his moves, you look like he's going to kill somebody. Scott Steiner, of course, I mean, is just a fraction of a steroid abuser that he would once that he would become. Uh, the uh, the observer, by the way, the fan poll uh, said this was the top match on the show. 
I concur. Uh, match, uh, sorry, before the match, Joe Fowler. He is an the announcer. new announcer, Joe Fowler. He is interviewing both Shawn Michaels and Diesel. Uh, they both have amazing mullets, and Diesel is the bodyguard for Shawn Michaels. He is there to keep the chicks off of HBK. It's so good. Match- I love Big D and Shawn Michaels. They're awesome. Match three is Shawn Michaels against Mr. Perfect. Uh, this is being billed as maybe the greatest IC title match ever. Oh, it was, it had high, I mean, I had high expectations at the time. I remember I went to a show in, at the arena in like, uh, June 93. And, um, so I was, you know, heavy into the product and excited and, and, uh, you know, I was looking very much forward to, uh, to seeing these two, uh, lock up and it was, uh, very highly anticipated. Uh, so, you, you know, I don't fault them for hyping it because on paper, this should have been fantastic. You texted me when you watched this and said that Michaels was so fat. Um, I thought he was just so roided up. I guess so. It's interesting. He's just, he just looks beefy. Like I- he's got that. Fucking Kylo Ren, Last Jedi beef going on. I think it's I think it's the roids because what will happen is uh, near the end of this year he gets suspended for for steroid, uh, abuse. For steroid and, abuse, and when he comes back, he is a lot skinnier. He's thin and lithe. Here he is not, and it affects the performance a little bit because I mean he's got the big Michael's ass going. Yeah, and uh, you know he's just he just you know he doesn't look his best. This is not HBK at his best, and I'm not blaming him for this match. I don't think these guys clicked. Uh, they show where Radio WWF is broadcasting. So, ah, so we, so, so, if you were listening, you'd hear also all about the Stanislav. Yeah, yeah, you'd get to hear it on the fucking radio. <laughs> this is great. That would be Why uh, wouldn't you just watch it scrambled then? Yeah, I know, Get right? Audio and maybe a little bit of video here and there. Uh, they both go off the ropes to start and miss whatever the hell they're trying. Uh, Heenan tries to cover up for it. We get an exchange of holds, and eventually Michaels misses an elbow drop and gets frustrated. There are chops in the corner to Michaels. Michaels does a flip out of the corner, but eats a clothesline. Yeah, uh, he comes up. Michaels comes off the top rope, but gets arm dragged and then arm dragged again. Perfect applies a wrist lock. Then Michaels gets uh, slingshotted out of the ring. Uh, perfect to the outside, but Diesel distracts him and eats a thrust kick. Yes, um, a little glass of thrust kick juice. Back in the ring, Michaels works over Perfect's back and then elbow drops him, throws him into the turnbuckle, gives him a backbreaker. Uh, Vince claims that Mr. Perfect may submit for the first time in his career, which is funny because two years ago he submitted to Bret Hart in uh, SummerSlam 91. Yes. Uh, there is a running drop kick off of an Irish whip by Perfect to start his comeback. He backdrops Michaels and gives him a knee lift. We get a couple of covers for two. Uh, Heenan accidentally calls the perfect plex the superplex. Nice. Uh, perfect hits the perfect plex, but Diesel pulls him out of the ring. Michaels comes out of the ring too. Perfect briefly gets the advantage, but then Diesel tosses him into the ring post, and Michaels gets back into the ring for a count out win, which is a very flat finish. Yeah, not not good at all. Perfect, of course, notorious for coming in contact with that ring post. You know that's that's that dude's undoing from a professional level. Um, Perfect comes in and he's mad at both of the heels, but they double team him and uh, Diesel gives him a KO punch and knocks yes, him out. Perfect just plays knocked out. Yeah, so he kind of looks like kind of weird. It's kind of a weird finish. Yeah, the heels walk away. Perfect eventually gets back up. He goes running back. Keenan sells it like, uh oh, Perfect's mad. And I'm just like, well, he was mad before and he got fucking his claw cleaned, yeah. right? So what yeah, are we I scared mean, of? He's going up against against the monster Diesel. I, I don't think it's going to work out for him. Uh, uh, two stars. I mean, it was fine, but it was nothing to write home about. I gave it three. Meltzer gave it three. So obviously I'm right. Obviously you're right. Because whatever Dave Meltzer says. Yes. Right. If you're a wrestling fan, he, uh, the, 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 the belief is that if he says it, then it must be true. And if you if you don't agree, then you should get very mad. Uh, Joe is backstage with the one, two, three kid. He is so nervous about being up against IRS. He's so nervous to be doing a promo. He is so nervous to be in the tights. He is so nervous. I don't know to wake up in the morning. My God, he just looks like he doesn't belong. Uh, the kid, of course, his story is that he has upset a couple of big time wrestlers. So now he's on pay-per-view against IRS. Um, -hmm. uh, as Dave Meltzer wrote, IRS pinned one, two, three in <laughs> in 544. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, okay, uh, 
Well, let's let's do the blow by blow, and then I'll give my thoughts. Uh, IRS comes out and says Detroit used to be known as the Motor City. Now it's known as the Tax Cheat City. Uh, <laughs> I love how <laughs> that's, again that gimmick is so bad. Um, and I love a guy coming out talking about taxes in fucking August. Yeah, IRS like that gimmick is gold in like April, right? Yep. But come August, like, does anybody really care about their taxes then? Um, he makes a great joke about how <laughs> it's the first time that the kid's been out past 8 p.m. Because <laughs> he's a kid. That's that's great. IRS gets caught with a spin kick and uh, a drop kick also gets two. IRS gets the heat and throws the kid uh, to the outside. Uh, IRS, of course, has to get his abdominal stretch. Abdominal? Abdominal stretch. Stretch yes. in, uh, <laughs> with his hand on the rope for leverage. Kid makes his comeback and hits a moonsault for two and a roll-up for two and an enziguri for two, but then IRS hits his clothesline and he actually pins the kid, which is kind of weird. I found that to be kind of weird. I mean, I don't I don't have a problem with jobbing the kid out after some upsets. That's fine. But wouldn't you put it uh, put him in there against a guy like that you're you know you're I don't know, it just seemed like the kid had some momentum. And then you kind of just job him out to a guy no one gives a shit about, and it just makes no sense. Yeah, so... The kid had skill, and he was exciting, and people were behind him. They're all chanting one, two, three, and they're getting into it. And I, I get you don't want to put him over everybody, but why don't you just have a guy beat him? Like a guy of consequence. Like IRS, come on. There's uh, a guy of no consequence in I gave any it, shape or form. Gave it a star and a half. Uh, Meltzer gave yeah. it two and a quarter. I thought it was all right. Two stars. Uh, so then also, when uh, they show the replay of the end of this match... So Heenan, oh Heenan has this like technology. This is of course 1993. I guess he can have the a brain pen. scan. He has a pen, so he can kind of like freeze the screen and and draw over it. The brain scan, and it's all fucking gibberish. <laughs> well, he clearly doesn't know how to use it. Yeah, like he. I mean, in, and you know, Jerry Lawler would do it too, and he was terrible at. It. <laughs> and that just, dude was an artist. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Like I don't even know why they had it. To be honest with you. Well, he draws something and it ends up being like, what, a, a 1040 or something? Yeah. So uh, so they show Bruce and Owen Hart. They are in attendance at the show. <laughs> Bruce uh, has got to get on TV. Yeah. They claim that Stu has twisted his knee because he was so upset over something Jerry Lawler said to him. <laughs> and uh, I then put, I wonder if Bruce asked if there was anything for him to do that night. Oh, I'm, I'm sure Bruce wanted to wrestle the match. I'm sure he did. So like, how about how about I wrestle instead of Brett? <laughs> So we have Bret Hart against Jerry He's Lawler. Trying to get a job, always. The storyline here is that Bret Hart won the King of the Ring in uh, in June. Jerry yeah. Lawler jumped him and beat him up, and Jerry Lawler, of course, claiming to be the King Jerry Lawler. So they are feuding over the King gimmick, and Jerry Lawler has also said nasty things to Bret Hart's family. Yes, he has. Uh, so <clears throat> Bret Hart comes to the ring, and uh, Lawler comes out to his music. He is on crutches. With a giant water bottle. Uh, like, strapped to his knee. It's so cartoonish. Todd Pettengill. It's, 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 I, I get it, but it's like, it's again, okay, like, I get the heel would do that, and it's kind of funny, but it's like, the referee doesn't, like, or Jack Tunney doesn't, like, be like, that's bullshit. Well, Jack Tunney, eventually, right? He's yeah. there. He's in the building. But, like, you think he would have known right away. Yes. Like, Dude, that's not a real, that's not a real injury. Look at that. Stupid water bottle. Yeah. So Pettengill, uh, hot water bottle. Sorry. Pettengill is, uh, interviewing him and, uh, Jerry Lawler says he hates Brett and all of the hearts. He runs down the rental car. Uh, he says it was a lousy rental car that was made in Detroit and that on the way to the arena, there was a huge car accident and he hurt his knee. He came to the arena to beat up Brett, but the doctor just won't let him wrestle. So he sends Doink the clown out to wrestle Brett instead. I remember reading about this because I didn't see this live. And I remember reading about it probably like the newspaper the next day. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes the newspaper would put the results. And I was like, what? Doink, Doink the clown? Yeah. Terrible. So Doink is the heel clown at this point. Uh, so yep. he comes out. He's got two buckets. Yes. He throws a bucket of confetti on some fans. Yes, he does. And then he goes over to where Bruce and Owen Hart are. Yep. <laughs> and he throws water on Bruce. Uh, yeah. Bret Hart in his book claimed that this was a rib on Bruce. Oh, come on. Uh, he said that... Come on, Brett. Brett. As if that wasn't planned. Brett said that Owen was in on it, but Owen had claimed to Doink that 
if he got water on him, Owen would subject the doink to ribs forever going forward. <laughs> okay, you know what? Maybe, maybe that actually happened. If uh, Owen was involved. And I mean, you got to think. Even though it was a rib, Bruce must have been so happy. <laughs> of course he was. It meant an extra couple of minutes, a couple seconds of screen time. <laughs> so Brett jumps Doink and works him over on the outside of the ring. Uh, Owen is cheering for Brett. He's saying, come on, Brett, and beat that clown. <laughs> <laughs> I love Owen. Uh, Brett eventually goes after Lawler on the outside, but gets <laughs> jumped by Doink, and then he's thrown into the steps. Uh, Lawler yeah. is cheering for Doink to massacre and kill Brett. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, Doink works over Bret Hart's leg. He applies an STF. Then Doink goes for his uh, stump puller move. Yeah, well, uh, Brett gets the less his, said about stump puller, the better. Brett gets his hand on the rope. Doink comes off the top, but uh, Brett gets a knees up into Doink's crotch. Yep. Brett then goes. Then he, gets, then he goes five moves of doom. Yeah, five moves of doom. He gets the sharpshooter on Doink, but Lawler miraculously recovers, comes in the ring, and drills Brett with the crutch from behind. And uh, the match is thrown out and Lawler beats. So I love this. So Lawler is beating on Bret Hart with a crutch. Yes. Uh, Owen and Bruce jump the railing and they're trying to get into the ring. And all these officials come out. They are all stopping Bruce and Owen. Meanwhile, Jerry Lawler just gets to beat on Bret with the crutch in the ring. Yep. Well, that's that's how it goes, I guess. Lawler leaves with Doink, but then Jack Tunney comes out. Uh, he yes. is awkwardly arguing with Lawler in the aisle. Brett is coming after Lawler, but being held back. It's kind of a big schmoz, actually. It's a big, it's a big schmoz. So that's great. Yes. Uh, Tunny tells, <laughs> Tunny tells Finkel to announce that Lawler has to wrestle or he'll be banned. So Lawler has to come back. Brett gets his hands on Lawler. The fans are fucking thrilled. They, they, the crowd was hot for this one. I mean, these were two guys who were over. And it was good psychology, right? Lawler's been yeah. Lawler's been a shit to Brett for two months, and then even the night of, you think he's not going to get his hands on him, and then he does. Yeah, people are going crazy. It's great. Uh, Owen, uh, as Brett is beating on Lawler, Owen says, everyone knows who the real king of the ring is, and it's the excellence of execution. I love Owen. Uh, Brett hits Lawler with the crutch on the outside of the ring, and the ref is just cool with it. Lawler uses the crutch to get the heat. The ref, again, doesn't care. Well, hey, listen, the ref, though, Bill Alfonso. Yes, yes, there you go. Devious. Uh, Brett, uh, Owen and Bruce are now at ringside, kind of distracting the ref. Brett eventually gets the advantage with a low blow that is very weak looking. He completely misses yeah. it. Yeah, it Lawler, doesn't look good. Lawler sells it anyways. Brett with his moves of doom again. He puts on the sharpshooter. Lawler submits. Yeah. Uh, so Brett, at this point, has the win. But then... He keeps the sharpshooter on Lawler for three minutes. Oh, yeah, it's vicious, actually. So now... You really put over the sharpshooter, I gotta say. That was great. So now you said... Okay, so you said earlier when Brett wrote about the rib on Bruce that that was probably bullshit. Yeah. So now Brett says that the the officials actually don't like Lawler at this point. So they're when they're trying to get Brett off, they're actually pushing Brett down on Lawler more. And that when Lawler was in the backstage area, he was all legitimately hurting. From the sharpshooter. I feel like Brett's just trying to put over his move in his book. <laughs> he might be. I feel like he's just trying to put the sharpshooter over in his book after his retirement. Yeah. So there are a dozen officials trying to get Brett off. And it's like, you can't get this guy off. Like, there are 12 of you. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, Bruce and Owen come in the ring as well. I, this is the first time I notice that Owen is wearing leather pants. <laughs> Again, I love Owen. Uh, Bruce, I think, wants to get some of his moves in. But he can't. Poor guy. The, and he's still got his shades on. Yes. Great. Uh, Bruce, Bruce, so cool. Brett finally breaks the hold. The Fink announces that the ref has reversed the decision and gives the win and the title of King of the Ring to Jerry Lawler. Poor Brett. Uh, no longer the king. Brett attacks Lawler again, and they put him in a stretcher. And then Bruce goes after him, and then Owen. They wheel <laughs> Lawler out. And uh, what I love is that as Lawler is being wheeled out, before he goes through the entranceway, he puts a victorious finger up in the air. Ah, yes. You know what? All that, the whole thing, the wrestling was pretty bad overall, um, but that whole thing was was great. Uh, I wrote entertaining crap, as I did last week for yes. the, the Hogan earthquake nonsense. Yeah. I gave it I gave it two and a half stars. Meltzer says the whole scenario from start to finish was probably worth four. 
Really? Yeah, really liked well, he it. He liked it. But again, back then, you know, again, we're he's writing that in nineteen ninety four three. We're right we're talking about twenty eighteen. Yeah. I could see how that would be exciting. That was that was, you know, far and away as a segment, probably the most exciting the most exciting anybody got that whole night. Uh so now we get a promo. So I talked about uh, earlier how America is feuding with Japan. Yes. Well they're also feuding with uh Finland? <laughs> yes. So Ludwig Borga he is walking around a shitty area of Detroit, which probably wasn't hard to find. Uh, he is cutting a promo on America. He is wearing massive jorts. Yep. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, Ludwig Borga, so boring. So he is now going to wrestle a match with Marty Jannetty. Yes. Uh, Marty Jannetty is supposed to be a, a uh, he, he's a veteran. Yeah. Uh, He's, you know, and so that's the idea. They both are in the ring together. So Janetti, so, before so the match. So when they say he's a veteran, they mean he's a jobber. Yeah, not a veteran of the war, like, uh, let's say, the road dog. No, he's a veteran. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a wrestling veteran, which means he's going to job. Yeah, so as a veteran, he talks shit to Borga, then turns his back on him. So he gets jumped from <sighs> behind. Terrible. This starts basically what is a total squash. Oh, it's, it's not even close, right? Uh, McMahon asks Heenan what Janetti should do in a match. Heenan says he should have given up during the introductions. He's not He's not wrong. Uh, there's not much to say. Eventually, Janetti submits to a torture rack. It's five minutes of a total squash. I gave it one star. Uh, Meltzer gave it a half star. Yeah, one star. Janetti uh, can bump. Uh, okay, match seven. <laughs> yes. We have Giant oh. Gonzalez versus The Undertaker in what is called a rest in peace match. An RIP in peace match. <laughs> they, up till this point, um, haven't said what that match is. There's all this speculation. What could this match be? Yes, that's right. Uh, then Finkel finally says the rules are it's no DQ, no count out. Yeah, there must be a winner, essentially. Uh, Harvey Whippleman. Peace. There's not even a casket match. Nothing. Just rest in peace. Uh, I guess for our listeners who don't know who Giant Gonzalez is, want to tell us who he is and what's going on here? He's a big, giant, tall dude from South America who's skinny, um, but is very tall. He's a legitimate, like, giant guy. Um, he's not like a dude in lifts or anything. He's just a giant dude who towers over Undertaker, who's quite big. Um, he wears a bodysuit with muscles painted on it because he's quite skinny. He um, is, you know, uh, does not have charisma, um, is not terribly intimidating. He's just really tall. And uh, he's managed by Harvey Whippleman. I don't know. What else is there to say about Giant Gonzalez? I mean, clearly he's been instructed to look as big as possible. So he walks around with his arms outstretched. Yes, that's right. Up in the air and, 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 and to the side. To, uh, you know, convey wideness and tallness. <laughs> uh, I wrote, one guy won't sell and the other guy can't sell. <laughs> the underseller. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we get some stuff. Uh, there's, a, there's, a sweet, there's a sweet stair shot to Undertaker. Of course. Uh, he does actually end up selling um, while he's being uh, beaten on. Uh, Paul Bearer, the, the gong goes off, or as Brian Alvarez calls it, <laughs> the, the dong. dong. Here's dong. Uh, Paul Bearer comes out. He's got a black wreath with him. Heenan is going nuts. Like Paul Bearer is somehow so dangerous. Oh God. Uh, Bearer takes out Harvey Whippleman and gets the urn with a huge. Oh yes. Oh yes. Uh, At this point, Taker gets powers back. He uh, nails Gonzalez with clotheslines and then gives a clothesline from the top rope. And that gets the pin on this monster that hasn't been beaten for like (laughs) fucking half a year. It's just so bad. I gave it a half star. Meltzer gave it a negative star. This is a dud or less. It's, it's minus three stars. Uh, it's bad. Um, you know, we're in the, you know, Undertaker, the, 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 the more, I would say kind of the second half of the Undertaker's career really did a lot for him in terms of, of his, uh, you know, people's uh, impressions of him as a worker, because my God, there's just nothing there back then. Uh, so afterwards, Gonzalez gives Harvey Whippleman a choke slam, and I guess he is a babyface now. Vince uh, says there is a new meaning to the term "rest in peace," and I thought, yeah, it means a shitty match. <laughs> uh, let's see. So Joel Fowler is—he's uh, backstage now with Yokozuna, Mister Fuji, and Jim Cornette. 
Uh, Jim Cornette complains about the tag team loss earlier. Yes. They then uh, do a close-up of Yokozuna's face while Cornette cuts a promo on Lex Luger. Yeah, and they're angry. Of course, Lex Luger has a loaded forearm. He has a steel plate in his forearm from a motorcycle accident, I believe. And uh, so Jim Cornette, not happy about that either. Uh, we then get the smoking guns and Tatanka against Bam Bam Bigelow and the head shrinkers in a uh, in six man tag. Six man tag team match. This is, uh, you know, right in your wheelhouse. Multi man tag matches. Uh, they note that Tatanka is undefeated. I guess they have to fill in some time because everybody gets an entrance. Yes. Uh, Luna, Vashon, and Afa are out there with the heels. And then all these guys making their SummerSlam debuts. Heenan announces that Shawn Michaels has left the building. Yes, that's the best fucking gimmick. So uh, good. To start the match, the three baby faces charge the three heels. All of them get clotheslined like a bunch of geeks. Yep. Uh, Tatanka gets the advantage and gives the Bammer a back body drop. <laughs> uh, they both collide into each other with a cross body. Billy gives Fatu a DDT, which Fatu sells. Yeah. Which he later will not, but he does early. He has a hard head only when it's convenient. Yeah. Uh, the heels get the heat back and start to work over Billy Gunn. Then they just let him fall into the corner and tag Bart, who ends up being the guy that sells for most of the match. So I guess that's yes. the plan. I guess so. This is just, just a spotty kind of match. Nothing really going on. No flow. Yeah. The heels work not, over. Nothing really there. The heels work over Bart for a while. This includes a spot where Bart rams Fatu's head into the mat and he now no sells it. Of course. Uh, Bam Bam gets a splash in the corner, but then hits or goes for a splash, misses Bart and hits the post. Hot tag to Tatanka, who's a house of fire. He includes a body slam on the Bammer. <laughs> High cross on Bam Bam gets two. Samu is I uh, late to break it up, so the ref hesitates on the two count. <laughs> I love those moments, right? Uh, Tatanka does his war dance and Hulk up, but gets injured by Bam Bam. This was also nice. a spot at the previous Royal Rumble. You can go to mezzaninesleepover.com to listen to our review of that show, Royal Rumble 94. Uh, then the guns get dumped to the outside, and there's a triple team on Tatanka. Big splash by Bammer and a triple headbutt. Uh, and then the heels all go up to the top rope for diving yeah. headbutts, but they all miss. It's great. Like a great visual there. That yeah. was a good spot. Uh, Tatanka then schoolboy Samu for the win. I wrote that was okay. I gave it two and a half stars. Two stars, 11 minutes, 15 seconds, not a whole lot. I mean, it was a serviceable wrestling match. Meltzer gives it helped it, that it was six-man tag. Meltzer uh, gives a two and three-quarter. This, of course, is the match, kind of the buffer between the Undertaker match and the main event. Yes. So we get Joe Fowler outside of the Lex Express. This is great. Yes. So he's interviewing the bus driver. Hank Carter. Hank Carter, who I guess, after driving Lex Luger around the country for two months, has to sit on the fucking bus watching the pay-per-view on closed circuit. <laughs> I love that. Uh, then uh, he puts over Lex as this really good dude. Uh, Todd Pettengill then interviews a geek fan who's wearing a red, white, and blue toga. Ugh. Uh, Jim, uh, J- uh, Bobby Heenan thinks that the bus driver was Jimmy Carter. The uh, guy that they uh, that they um, interviewed was named Bruce, and I thought maybe it was Bruce Harden in disguise trying to get more TV time. <laughs> Probably was. I'm, he said his mom made the costume for him, so maybe. You know. <laughs> I see Helen making a toga. Uh, so they they then um, they sing the national anthem, the Japanese national anthem, to tremendous yes. booze. Oh gosh, yes. Uh, then they bring out the MC for the main event. It's the Macho Man. Uh, Macho Man uh, on the um, did come out at the start of the was he out at the start? No, he wasn't out at the start. That's right. I got him mixed up with SummerSlam '94. Yeah, I so, apologize. So he comes out. Uh, he is with Aaron Neville. Uh, yes, Aaron Neville. Very sings, what 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 a, what a celebrity appearance. Aaron Neville s- sings the uh, U.S. national anthem. This is just so tacky. Uh, we get match nine now. Yokozuna, the WWF champion, defending against Lex Luger. Yokozuna. Uh, Point announced at 558 pounds. Uh, a fan in the arena has a sign that says Yoko Tuna. <laughs> McMahon, McMahon says that would be a big one. <laughs> Macho Man introduces Lex Luger, who comes out to Stars and Stripes Forever. 
We get a stare down to start the match. Fuji looks like he's going to sneak in, but Luger catches him and then gets the upper hand on Yokozuna. He works over Yokozuna's leg and crotches him on the middle rope and then hits an elbow when Yoko is down. He is clearly sucking wind already. Like Luger, I know it's a nice hot start, and it took everything out of Luger to do that. (laughs) He's fucking, he's fucking sucking wind. It's amazing. He's uh, uh, Yoko finally gets uh, the upper hand with some, as I wrote here, some karate shit to the throat. <laughs> uh, Yoko distracts the ref and Fuji tries the salt in the eyes, but he misses. Luger goes for a slam, but he can't do it. He eats a thrust kick. Yoko works over Lex on the outside of the ring. He splashes Lex into the ring post. Uh, he attempts a chair shot, but misses. Uh, Lex with an axe handle off the second rope and then the top rope. And then a sloppy forearm gets a two. Controversial forearm, according to Vince. A double clothesline puts both guys down. Cornette distracts the ref, and Yoko takes Luger out with a salt bucket. He crawls over slowly, and we get a series of moves and pinfall attempts on Luger where Vince is like, no, not like that. It can't be like that. And you know, the crowd's into it at this point. It's not bad. They're, they're, they're buying it. Yoko gives Lex his patent nerve hold. Oh, my God. The crowd chants, USA, USA. Vince says he has never known an athlete to have that kind of support. And I'm like, well, you know, not. Yeah, I guess if you don't count the last 10 years. Exactly. Uh, we eventually get Yokozuna going for the bonsai drop, which uh, Heenan calls the big one and Hiroshima. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I don't think we remember like, what that like was. Like, like, the thing is, it's... <laughs> It makes no sense because it's 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 insinuating that Japan perpetrated that 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 atomic bomb attack. Yep, uh, and they didn't. Luger moves out of the way. Uh, Yokozuna goes for the corner splash and misses, and then he gets body slammed by Luger. Yes, uh, he kicks. Uh, or sorry, he knocks. Uh, Luger knocks out Fuji, and then when the ref is distracted, Luger takes off his forearm pad and nails Yokozuna with the forearm, the loaded forearm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yokozuna falls outside of the ring and he gets counted out. So Luger wins the match. Uh, I gave they it, fucking celebrate. I gave it two and a half stars. Uh, Meltzer gave it two and three quarter. It actually wasn't that bad a match. Two stars, not bad. I I was fine with the match. So, I mean, both guys, both guys looked exhausted. So so that that kind of didn't that kind of took a little bit away from it. These guys clearly were not in ring shape. So the fucking baby faces come down to the ring. They hoist Luger on their shoulders. There are balloons and confetti falling from the ceiling. The guy didn't win the fucking title. No, it's it's just it. This this is the. I often think that this is what killed it for him. Yeah, I do too. But, you I know actually, what? It didn't look bad. He got a count out win, and it was kind of like, okay, you can build from this. Honestly, you can't build from this. So, like, I don't think in the end Luger should have been the guy, but the way that they no. built this up, this guy should have fucking come down and won this match in two minutes. And if that's what you wanted, yeah. if you wanted the new Hogan. Yeah. And it's clear that they were, they probably, like, I have a feeling that by this point they knew, like, this isn't going to work. Yeah. So they don't give him the belt. Um, they, they claim, of course, that they want the guy to have a chase. They've already built a stipulation into the contract for this match that Luger cannot have a rematch. Um, of course, he would have to win the Royal Rumble to get that rematch. And that Mm -hmm. was another failure at WrestleMania 10. I mean, we've, we've joked on this show about Roman Reigns and the way they book him. Luger is like the original here. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's Lex Luger. There there wasn't a lot there, but there was more there, I believe, than what, than what they kind of tried. So then they show this fucking puke-worthy video of the Lex oh, Express Lex tour. Express. The only good part about this video, Lex is touring <laughs> around the country. He is meeting with children and fans, and he's posing yeah. in front of landmarks. <laughs> and he's he's fucking on the bus, like peering out longingly yeah. at, at the at the you know at America as he drives yeah. by. Every one of these wearing a fucking fanny pack. It's so good, like amazing. Just. Just filled with sobas. The video ends. They go back to the ring. Yokozuna is still knocked out. Then they go backstage. He's in the locker room celebrating with the baby faces. Ludwig Borga courageously walks into the locker room to challenge him to matches going forward. It's so weird. It's so weird. And uh, that's the end of the show. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, Tonka in a towel, by the way. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and that is SummerSlam 1993. What are your thoughts? Uh, two hours and 47 minutes of uh, just forgettable action. Some good stuff with Hart and Lawler. A good, uh, a good uh, tag team match with the Steiners and the Bodies. Other than that, completely forgettable. Um, historically, like a like not much of a footnote. So uh, definitely a recommendation to avoid. Uh, honestly, the background story of Bret Hart around this time is way more interesting than anything they put on screen. So read his book. I'm I'm going through it again. It's fantastic. Yeah. So much Bret banging chicks on the road. And uh, Brett likes his rats. Yeah, he oh he loves them. It's funny too because he says he kept audio uh, commentary of his career, so and he remembers things with really good detail. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure some of the stories are bullshit, but he gets dates and all that stuff right. Yes, uh, but he also remembers all the rats. He'll like list he them. There was this one here and this blonde here, and it's like, did you keep notes on everyone you banged? Like, <laughs> you're like, like in his audio notes, was he like, you know, June twenty second, nineteen eighty six. Uh, ass fucked the blonde in uh, Poughkeepsie. Yeah, like well, he probably did. <laughs> so anyway, oh, did. Uh, good anyways, job, Brett. Yeah, Thanks good job, Brett, Brett. For some of that, uh, those tidbits of information that we used in the show. Yeah, yeah. Go read his 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 book, and uh, yeah. Um, don't know what we're coming up with next, folks, but we'll. I, we assure you, it's going to be tremendous. Yeah, we will figure it out. We may give you some uh, teasers at Mezzanine Sleepover on Twitter. So follow us there for some. Uh, for some teasers on what be, might be coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks, go and check out our other podcast. Albums are dead. We review one album at length every week, and it is a fantastic <laughs> time. Uh, go to mezzaninesleepover.com for all of the information about this show. And until the next time we are on, I am your pal Slip with five eyes or sleep. I am at megamix.com, and uh, we'll see you uh, at some point. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.